Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, Neon, Helium, Xenon, Krypton. Transform and roll out. It's Max, I'm with Mondo Neon. I'm with Jess Royal, a really incredible person who's, you know, helping on a show you might've heard of, Stranger Things, um, doing a lot with set design. Uh, really appreciate you coming on, just being a, a part of this. Thanks for, you know, being a guest. Awesome. Thanks for having me. We've been, this has been two years in the making. So, <laughs> you know, um, I'm glad to finally be here with you. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, neon's important to me. So the first time you reached out to me, um, I was super excited about it. And um, yeah, I believe in, I believe in neon. I am like a kind of a neon queen. I give gaffers a hard time. I give D, DPs a hard time, like about doing it the right way, doing it the real way. So um, yeah, you got the right person here. <laughs> An incredible eye for detail. I mean, everybody that is familiarized with the show, um, there's just a lot going on. There's clothing, there's signage. I mean, it's it's typical of the 80s, so there's very much nuances to all of that. Um, but with that said, you know, what is it that made you want to, you know, produce for the show? What was first going on? I know that there's a lot with Neon that happened maybe in season three we can get to. But even before that, was there kind of a catalyst for picking out pieces and, you know, helping along with the show? Did you kind of know what was going in terms of it becoming a bit of an icon right now in pop culture? I mean, you know, there's a, the production designer I work with, Chris Trujillo, um, he and I had been doing things long before Stranger Things. And so we'd always said, you know, like one day, man, we're going to get our break and we're going to get the opportunity to really do something that everyone will see. And, you know, you never really know when that thing, when you're making that thing. I mean, you have, might have an idea. Like we, when I read the script for Stranger Things season one, episode one, before it was even called Stranger Things, it was called Montauk and we were going to shoot it in Long Island, but anyway. Um, and so, I mean, I knew the script was good and I was super excited to be a part of it. So it was a hundred percent. Yes. Like right off the bat. Um, but you know, once it took off, I mean, fortunately I'm a stickler for detail anyway. I think I became even more crazy about it after season one, because everyone was so focused on all the details. Um, so like Reddit threads are like my worst nightmare. If someone's like questioning something that's like not period appropriate or not real or not accurate to 1983, four, five, six, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, so we did a pretty thorough job season one, which included, real neon, not faking it. Um, and not even just real neon, but, you know, I tend to not rent neon either, which is another thing in the film industry is most people rent neon. Um, but I like to make it from scratch. I think it's a, the coolest thing to have that ability. Um, just, you know, cause not every person in the world can just pull the trigger and make neon. Actually, they probably can, if everyone was aware that they could, they probably could, if you save up for it, you can afford it. Um, but yeah, I just think like creating, like sketching something out and having it made is such a fun, thing um and so yeah we wanted to do it the right way so we did it the right way season one and then it got even more you know it turned into more of a fight really later um in some of the other seasons like season three that you mentioned um just because some people didn't believe that it was efficient or cost effective or you know for various reasons um but so far i have won the fight every time so we will see that maintains (laughs) In, in a lot of those parallels too i mean the world building that goes on you know, did you have a shop in mind? Was it easy to just kind of seek that out? Because I think sometimes people like they get tripped up on all the technical things that neon can do. And then they kind of just, you know, get in a rut. You had like something in mind. I mean, had you grown up around 
Um, I think you were, uh, you're an Atlanta native, right? Is that something I'm that- I'm an Atlanta you... native. I have a law background, not um, design, did not go to film school. So, um, you know, the most I can say is just like being aware of my surroundings my whole life, which I think is like the most important skill set, more so than any kind of formal like film education or anything is just sort of watching how certain businesses or certain people live that, you know, collect things or save things in their lives or just whatever it is um, and just paying attention to detail. Um, so that that's about the extent of my background in actual neon. I had no real, you know, formal training in anything. Um, but I just, I think no, noticing things that are period and that are original um, is something that's always like delighted me even before I was in film. Um, it's one of the motivating reasons I got into film. And so even as a kid, just driving around smaller towns in Georgia, like in Macon, Georgia or Athens or wherever it was, um, and note and seeing original neon still like on a building, even if it wasn't lit, if the glass was just intact, like just noticing that at like 12 or 13 years old and being like, wow, that is like so cool. You know, the ability to recreate that, uh, a whole world with that is, is an opportunity that not everybody gets. So. And you had worked with the, a local shop as well in Atlanta, right? The neon company. Yeah. yeah. So every, so I don't know if we've talked about this um, in any of our exchanges, but um, most of the films in Atlanta use the, um, the neon company and, and I use the neon company as well. Some, but um, I had found this like one-off random shop that just did like strip clubs and like Greek restaurants. It was a very random niche thing. Um, and the guys are, were really great and really down to earth and they could do anything super fast and super cheap. Um, and so it was a called affordable signs and neon. And so I used them really like through it, season three, we had so much neon work. We had to shop, we had to farm some of that out to neon company. Um, but really stranger things, they did seasons one through, you know, in the bulk of season three and actually their glass blower was able to like retire after season three because of just like all the business that I had thrown their way for some years there. But, um, yeah, they were, uh, they were great. There's like little, you know, little problems that come up with film that maybe do don't matter to real life businesses. Like, like the transformer itself. And like, if, if you're going to give me a car battery size transformer, like that's kind of a problem sometimes. And so right. if your dimmers aren't the greatest, most adaptable, um, you know, if there's only like three settings for a dimmer, then, and that was, a that was probably one of the reasons why I had to uh, get a little bit away from affordable. I'm not saying anything bad about affordable because they're like the greatest guys ever. And I recommend anyone mm -hmm. listening to this who's in the Atlanta area to use them. Um, but we just had so many tight spaces and weird things going on, um, you know, season three, especially, and all the flicker effects and all that stuff that I had to sort of go to a company that had done more, you know, film specific neon work. Um, but yes, but for many yeah. years, horrible signs and neon were my guys, 100%. It's cool. I mean, even like, you know, neon company, we had the mom, we have Blaze Pearson, who's a vendor and, you know, they got their start in 83. So there's a lot, I mean, even what you'd work with, you know, multiple groups, um, you know, are there, are there something like, you know, within like all that work that you do, any interesting challenges along the way that you're trying to create something authentic? It must be pretty difficult because even I was reading some work that you had done on the season three and, you know, making over that mall that was very difficult. I mean, the Starcourt mall that we're talking about, that in particular, that department store, I mean, the logistics of forcing all this information that's all old and kind of forgotten and trying to beef it up into now and make it look like it's, you know, perfectly working together. Any kind of interesting stories that you guys learned that was like, oh, I didn't, we didn't see that coming. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think like, um, so we, so season three, we had the scripts, you know, for the first couple episodes and you kind of have an idea, like an outline for the rest of it. And they're tweaking as they go and then they're releasing. And we usually have them all before we start filming, but not always. Um, and so it started with like finding the mall location. Cause that got started really early before we were filming and we found the right location. I'll spare you my story of the body that was found in the food court when we first moved in there. It was horrible. Uh, dying malls, no fun intended, but in America, it's a thing. Um, anyway, so yes, it was completely abandoned, that whole part of the mall. And so we kind of had a blank slate um, to just sit down. I mean, we literally, the, the production designer and art director and I sat down in the middle of the space and looked at every store and tried to you know, with all of our research we had already done, which was like months worth of research and all the photos and everything else, um, and a pretty good idea of what was there originally anyway in the mall, sort of went through with like what we wanted to see in the mall and what fit each space, um, the natural architecture, like what it looked like it would have been or could have been before, and then just made it that store so that we weren't fighting, you know, because a lot of it had been updated to like 2000 standards, you know, tiles and marble and whatever mm. stuff. Mm -hmm. So we had to bring a lot of that back anyway, carpet and just the flooring. So that's a enough anyway, let alone all the signage that you have to create um, and then and then stocking all these stores. So we just were trying to make our lives a little easier. So we were picking different things, you know, and I mean, I had certain things I wanted because it kept coming up in my research and I thought it was so bizarre and maybe we didn't have it in Atlanta growing up. So like things like the ground round restaurant, which is like, I don't know why that's funny to me, but like just seeing ground rounds everywhere around like Indiana and stuff in the eighties. Um, I was like, well, we have to have a ground round. So, <laughs> so that was like a dedicated spot. And then the gap was scripted. So we knew we had to have that. And then just kind of going through the food court, like hot Sam's, like we thought that was kind of funny. And there was enough of those around that we we're like, all right, well, there has to be a hot, hot Sam's now. Um, and, you know, just fun things that everyone wants to see, like the old, um, you know, Burger King and, and things like that. So, um and are there are there like out of all the stuff that you source i mean like there's bikes and some of the things i like the most like the thing movie poster in episode or season one like the meat trapper keepers are there any personal objects that you sort of sourced and fell in love with you're like oh you know like i really want this to later on or is there a, do you get attached to stuff that you make like that Oh, hundred percent. And like some of it's stuff that like I want because I know it from my childhood and I want it because it's just nice, you know, I connect with it. So I would hope that other people would see it and connect with it as well. So like there are certain sheets and stuff that we've used in the show. Like it just some of the really iconic ones, like 11, her fort and stuff in the basement. Um, it's amazing how many people have like written to me or I've seen on like, like Colbert report, <laughs> like, you know, of Stephen Colbert saying like, those were my sheets as a kid. And it's like, he's so excited. So it makes me excited. And like, you know, we nailed it with that one. And, um, and so certain things like that, that are great that I just see in the world, um, whether it's from my childhood or going to estate sales and stuff. And when you start to see patterns where like every American family had this thing from Radio Shack from 1984 or whatever it is, it's like, well, then it has to be there because it truly like a great percent of the population, you know. I was going to, I was going to ask you about that. Is there like sort of like a checklist of the 80 stuff that you like, it has to meet these criteria. Otherwise it can't get by you guys. Like it must be something now that you have a pretty good firm, like eye on, you know, like. Oh, as far as like telling if something is pure, is true to the period, I am, I'm like a walking, like Sears catalog encyclopedia. Like it is, a, I can, I've actually watched a couple of movies for other people, like production designers and directors who, who it was set in the eighties and they were like, we think it's pretty good. This is the rough cut. We think we're good. We don't need to do any other visual effects alterations, but can you just watch it and see if 
there's anything in here that we're missing that someone might pick up on, you know? And it's like, so, so if I guess if I ever don't work as a set decorator anymore, I can work as a, like, <laughs> a or something. Like, but, is it, is um, it, well, it's like, it's, it's so funny that you mentioned that. Cause like certain things are time period appropriate, but then it's funny stuff that like the show lets go by. Like, I remember there's something, some commentary on the first season, which was like, there was a gun that was like picked up on the camera, but like most people, like when you're watching at that level, at that high of enough level, I mean, there's very few people that really can tune into that much going on. So it's interesting to see what, you know, as time goes on, the show's probably gotten more particular about what it, what it will and won't put yeah. in there. But, you know, as you sort of do things, you know, there's, there's probably moments in time where you're kind of struggling for inspiration too. Like, are there ever times where you guys like, you have too much stuff to work with? Like, is, is it difficult to like wind it down? I mean, I guess the mall would be something like that because we had so many awesome stores that we wanted to recreate, um, especially like defunct ones that don't exist anymore. So just have it, having a limited amount of space, um, that's that's kind of what led us to do all of them. I don't know if you've read interviews or whatever before, but we've we every one of those stores you could walk into and literally 360 all the way deep into the back of the store was dressed, even though we were never going to go into most of them really. Um, but like one of my favorites was wicks and sticks, which I was, I thought was so bizarre that like, why is there, you know, a whole, it's like Yankee candle, but even more niche <laughs> kind of. Um, and so it was just like candles and like sculpted those like sculptured candles and, um, and macrame basically is all it was. And so I did, so once I kind of found, once that started coming up in my research over and over, I was like, okay, I got to have wicks and sticks too. And then it's like, then you start going down the research rabbit hole of like, what all did the wicks and sticks sell? You know, can I acquire this stuff? And it's like, okay, I feel pretty comfortable. I can, I can acquire, I can get someone to make all these candles for us, whatever, let's do it pull the trigger that put that in the yes column, you know? And so you're just kind of going through and making sure you can a pull off whatever it is and b, you know, that it meets either a weird random one-off like obscure um, reference, or it meets like the pop culture where every mall had it kind of reference. So everyone can identify with it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just the like last, that last I heard their sets were being um, were like dismantled for Netflix. I mean, yeah, reportedly yeah. decided against leaving in place, which obviously is more probably for, you know, like, people getting hurt or whatever <laughs> like not having to be yeah. like permanent to a permanent tourist attraction but like was there anything that was like saved from any of these sets that like got put well, back or they were gonna do it at a stranger things experience and some guy um bought the rights to that and i think he did um the graceland remodel i don't know something with a graceland experience um in tennessee for elvis and so he came to us and so we signed off on it and then i think the guy kind of ended up being a crook like no offense but so uh it was it all completely fell apart and he was kind of sleazy and um so once that wasn't going to happen i mean everything was still standing and it stayed standing it took months to sort all that out um and then i was actually on a different show um fear street which in the 1994 uh version of that movie had a lot of neon in it as well I did another mall, but it was during Fear Street that I had to send my crew over to get everything we wanted out of the mall because construction was going to come in and like demo everything. And so a lot of it, I mean, we saved a good bit of it because we save everything. I have like a hundred thousand square foot warehouse, but, um, they, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> but a lot of it also went into dumpsters and I kept seeing things pop up. Like people were sending me articles of people who were dumpster diving and they saved like a Scoops Ahoy light fixture or whatever it was. And, you know, so some of it got out there, but Yeah. Well, it's so funny how popular shows become, especially now with the new season coming out. And, 
you know, people that really can relate to this time period. I mean, it's, it's funny how, how many people, even people that now currently were not born in the eighties, they just completely relate to it on a, a, a kind of a strange level. I mean, there's even been articles out about it recently that just like, what, what do they, you know, what do they connect with? And yeah. I think it's interesting. Like, you know, I think it's a testament to the work that your team has done being able to really sort of reconfigure this sense of the eighties and not just like piecemeal together, but really, you know, um, approach it from a very honest perspective that's that's really clear about what it's trying to do you know sometimes you see these movies and it's like it's kind of a, a mishmash of things and you sort of wonder it's like was this put in here intentionally or was it you know was there sort of a message behind all this or was it just like oh this needs to have more neon right like it's hard to really as an artist sort of understand what that is because right. we don't know what the artist is thinking but it's clear what the intention is I think when I mean, the Duffers are super great and they had a vision going into this and they've really seen it through. Um, we originally thought we were going to go three seasons and end it, which I always respect to show who get, that can just pull the trigger when I mean, pull, pull the plug when it's done. And they always know the whole time, like what that arc is going to be. Um, but, you know, once we were really, I think by season two, we kind of had an idea like, OK, this will now go to season five. Um, and that will be the end, which they have stuck to and have always had a plan kind of for the story arc. So I completely respect that. And they're really great. So easy to work with. I mean, at least for our department, for like art and, and set deck, um, they're, they're so wonderful and they trust us and we don't have to do all the like presentation and dog and pony show, like a lot of other kind of marble things or, you know, have to do. So that's great. And then, um, yeah, it's funny you say that with them, with like, having it be cohesive and not like a mishmash because, you know, I remember the first, I was doubting myself, like the first day of filming on season one, um, I approached every character in every set as like who they are, not, not just, okay, this is 1983. So every set's going to be 1983. You know, it's like, who are they? What's their socioeconomic background? What are their means? You know, how would they have acquired their house or bought their house or, and when did they buy it? And when, how, you know, what kind of job did they have? Could they refurnish or remodel or, you know, it's just like, it's a progression. So um, the buyers, I saw it as more of a seventies kind of house because Joyce has been there and she doesn't have, you know, she's a single mom. She's busy. She's stressed out all the time. Um, she's not like thinking about the latest, greatest, you know, Macy's sofa or whatever. And so, but our accountant, which uh, why, I, why I let an accountant bother me, I don't know, but our head accountant, like walked through the set right before <laughs> call that day. And then she came to me and she was like, gosh, Jess, I thought this was 1983, but like your set looks really seventies. And I was just like, <gasps> well, I was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, but yeah, but that's intentional. And I was like trying to justify myself. And anyway, I was like, you know what? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I have a feeling it'll well, all come together. Something, so something interesting that I read in an article was that, you know, those period pieces that were actually more left over from the seventies, like the wood walls, the carpet that's left over. And I read kind of an interesting article about something about that, which was that those houses were once extremely popular in the seventies. And it would have been those kind of houses that somebody in the eighties would have then picked up on. It couldn't change. Like they couldn't change that stuff. So you, kind of hit the hit the nail on the head right from whether yeah, you realize I, or not but that to me was like yeah you've got the sofa that's left over from the house that you couldn't just you know just change right yeah you know? not everyone has all the money in the world to just go buy everything new or you know it's a it's a you choose your bat you pick your battles and you you remodel certain things first you wait you save up you remodel other things and so you're just showing those different stages of people's lives and sort of what their abilities are and their means I think is important 
our, right. our show does a better job than some maybe of telling that story. Um, you know, like the Wheeler house, for example, is all pretty more current 80s stuff because um, they're a little better off. And and another a fun thing that was that I really enjoyed, like season two, I always take whatever our our season is scripted for. So if it's, it's usually a few days at a time in whatever given year and a given month. So when I was looking at season two and it was the end of October, like early November in 1984, I was just like, okay, what all's going on in the world? What can I incorporate? Like even just really subtle background, whether it's like a school bulletin board, whatever, I like to be relevant. And so then I realized, oh my God, it's an election year. Yes, this is so fun. So I got to choose kind of like what every character, what their political persuasion was going to be and put some signs in people's yards and stuff. So, you know, the wheelers are like Reagan people and, um, you know, Dustin's mom is a Democrat um, and voting for Mondale. And so it's just like, I don't know, stuff like that to me is like, if I like it when you look deep and or you pause a certain scene and you, and you look in the background that you're seeing stuff that's like completely a full immersive experience for whatever would have been happening in the world then. Yeah, it's very, it's very topical too. And I mean, it even goes so deep as to like, you know, get a number one hit on Spotify for Kate Bush. So the show has a very powerful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a play in, in, in pop culture, even bringing things back really from him so long yeah. ago. Um, I know we're almost nearing time, but you know, one of the things I want to touch on was these pop-up stores. Any involvement in those or like things that hit Chicago and Dallas? I think Times Square had one like a couple like a year ago. Um, so this past se- this season for season four, I think there were some, some people sent me links and they were like, how do you feel about this? This isn't, you know, I'm like, I, I wasn't involved in those for this season. I think they're fine. Some are better than others. You know, it's like, there it's, I try to sometimes just not look at them if I don't have involvement, because it's going to be frustrating. Cause it's like it's too close to home. <laughs> yeah. And there's certain things that are wrong and it's just like drives me kind of crazy. But, um, but like season three, um, some of the scoops Ahoy stuff, I did send them cause like the light fixtures and scoops Ahoy, um, like sconces and the chandelier I made, um, like literally in my living room, I just ordered all the p- like pieces of stuff and put them all together. So, so I had like a schematic that I had drawn out for my light fixtures. And so when they were going to do a pop-up for Baskin Robbins, I, you know, someone reached out and I was like, okay, well, I can at least help you get it right. And I can give you all the background information to put some of this stuff together. And like, and some of the neon drawings that we did for like the, um, there's like an ice cream cone inside and the sign itself. And, you know, so we did have some, some more direct involvement in that stuff, but it kind of just depends on like how busy we are. If we're all doing like some other show, then, you know, they might have to figure it out on their own. So I think it's, it's a, it's a, you know, a real benefit to you guys to have people that go off and do those things. Cause it really just shows the, the impact of all the work that you guys put together. And I'm sure they feel very inspired, even though you're not doing the actual work. I still think it's, you know, a, a great homage to really the yeah, feelings and the experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I very definitely flattering. appreciate the work that goes into it. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, um, and even like, I'm a terrible social media person. Like I never post and you probably know as much, but, um, and I've never had a Facebook account, but occasionally when I do look at Instagram and people have sent me messages and they've, you know, whatever their, their, their trade is, or if it's a hobby or whatever, like there's this woman who I was just talking to in Central America who makes macrame and she had created all of these stranger things characters, like in macrame. I don't know. It was incredible. I was like, wow, that is 
you're awesome. I was like, so for season five, if there's any room for macrame, I will come to you as a, you know, a nod and get some of your macrame and use it. And I just love seeing what people do with their inspiration from the show and their love of the show. I think it's, um, I, I, you know, I really appreciate all of that. And I, I do look at all those messages. So I'm just terrible at responding. It's usually like three weeks later. So, um, no, I mean, it's great. I mean, even everything that you've done online, especially when it comes to like just posting little things. And I know that's not a huge part of what you're all about, but you know, even I, I let the show sort of do all that, but I think, you know, I mean, there's so much going on, even in the new season, you know, do you have any tips for people that are wanting to go into this field? I mean, I know you kind of just spiral into it off of a separate, you know, like a law background, but like curating and attracting clients and things like that. Um, any advice on people that are trying to do their thing out there right now? I mean, I tell everyone to like, find what you do. If you want to get into film, at least specifically that find what you do the best, um, and do it and make yourself indispensable. And even if it's not the thing you think you want to ultimately do in film, use it as a stepping stone. Like I got my start scouting, um, locations and I love it. It's like continuing education for a decorator because you're seeing all these people, you get to go to a trailer park and go in people's trailers and photograph all their stuff. And like, you know, I save all that, those photos and it's, um, it's always like good to have for reference and inspiration. So, um, but I just know Georgia really, really well. I know like every road in Georgia. So when I wanted to get into film, that was my sort of in, um, and I recommend, you know, if, if you think you want to do something else, but you do something different, that's really well, use that to just get your foot in the door and then, um, it's easier to kind of navigate the world. So, um, that's awesome advice. Yeah. Um, season four is going on right now. Anything else you want to throw out there? Things that you're working on, excited about just kind of wrapping up. Um, I don't know. I'll be going back to Savannah for a little Todd Haynes movie, um, later this year. So I'm excited about that. And then we'll be back for season five, um, early next year. So stay tuned, everybody. I'm sure it'll take forever to film it. Like it did this past season. Um, Good things come to those who wait. Uh, exactly. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much just for being on the show. Really just an incredible body of work. Um, anybody who wants to know, just definitely go out there and watch if you haven't already seen it you've been waiting on the side of the sidelines definitely get involved there's so much good stuff in there but i appreciate you coming on thank you for having me i'm glad this finally happened hey guys hope you enjoyed that show if you haven't done so please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice we have a lot of great neon guests coming up and as always thanks for listening